What up? This is Rob B. Down Brown, and I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. As you just heard, this week's guest is Rob Beatdown Brown. If you haven't heard of Rob, it means you're the perfect drummer and you don't need to work on anything. You've won drums, but if that's not you and you've ever been on YouTube and searched for literally anything drum education related, you've seen Mr. Beatdown. He's hands down my favorite YouTube instructor and he's probably the reason I'm lucky enough to still be a full-time drummer. I was excited to get him on the show, so let's just get into it. I'll link his YouTube channel in the show notes, but just search for Rob Beatdown Brown and you'll find him. Here are the five records that shaped him into the player he is today. Cheers. First off, um, I want to thank you for changing my life because, and I'm sure you get this all the time, but uh, your Tom video, How to Tune Your Toms, has, ch- has saved me so many times in loud, <laughs> on tour, loud rooms where I have to do it quickly. Um, and then now I kind of focus on the middle finger as a fulcrum. So, so many of your videos have, have changed my life for the better, by the way. I should say that. Cool. <laughs> and uh, nice. so thank you, man. I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, man. No problem. You're welcome. At what point did you realize you were a good communicator? Um, I remember, geez, I must have been 19 or 20 or something. And <clears throat> somebody just, one of my friends just came over to the house. I, at this point, I'd only been playing like maybe two years, two and a half years. Jeez. And <clears throat> a friend of mine came to the house and just wanted me to, to show him some stuff on the drums. I'm like, okay. And it was funny. It's like while while I was talking to him is when I noticed that that maybe maybe I'm good at this because it just kind of it didn't feel like you know it didn't feel like I was acting like a teacher or anything. I was just showing him what to do, and he just understood. He left the house knowing how to do everything that he he wanted to to do. So it's like it was during that time, like I said, while I was talking to him. Then I realized that I might actually have a knack for teaching. Yeah. So, yeah. But I never really, you know, I didn't go ahead and pursue it or anything at that point because I was still having fun and learning how to play at the time. But just um, you, you almost kind of know, like while you're explaining something to somebody, you kind of know that they're getting what you're saying. You know what I mean? And that felt kind of cool. So that's that's probably when it's that's probably the first time it started anyway. Yeah, you're very so. pure and direct, but you also have this sense of like levity. It's almost—I don't mean to just be blowing smoke up your ass, but it's like, it's—it's like you—it's like very paternal thing, but it's also very like peer to peer. I never feel condescended towards. Um, I like hearing, you know, I like hearing that because it's—it's it's actually probably my most common compliment. It's like, yeah, man, it just feels like there's just two dudes talking, you know drums in a, in a room or something and that's sort of and it's not like i'm trying to to do that it's just you know i don't have i don't have like because it's just so inauthentic when you see it people they got these online persona mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah and you're listening to them you're, you're listening to them in these videos and i'm like 
I know you don't talk like this <laughs> yeah. off camera. Like, yeah. why, why are you doing this for? It's, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not appealing. So, but yeah, it's just, you know, like why, if somebody just wants to know how to do something, why not just tell them? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you have to, why do you have to make them, why do you got to constantly remind them that I'm the teacher and you're the student and let's just keep it that way. It's come on. Like we were, we were all beginners at one point. So there's no, get out of your ass and just talk to them like regular people. So, I mean, I guess I don't want you to shout out any other educational platforms because I want people to, you know, go to you, but where do you, like, say you want to learn something, you want to be inspired besides just listening to music. Where does Rob Brown go? I, as far as watching stuff, um, I, I go to my heroes. So I'm always cruising Steve Smith videos and, I'll find myself on a, on a, on a Steve Gad binge every once in a while and just watch him. Like I was always one that, uh, I always learned better by just watching. Like I never, I don't, I don't use books or anything like that. I always just kind of copied what I'm seeing. Like I'm, I'm a visual type learner. I guess that's what, what they call it. Um, so when I, you know, when I feel like getting a little inspiration, I'll do that. I'll sit in front of YouTube and I'll type in, wacko videos or watch Vinny for an hour and, and stuff like that. And then I'll just pick up little things here and there and, and, you know, rewind this cause that was cool and stuff like that. But that's, that's what I do, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all about when I really, when my drumming really started taking off is when I, it's when I got into jazz fusion. So this was like late eighties, early nineties when it really started to blow up. Um, at least that, sort of phase of it so it was a lot of dennis chambers a lot of peter erskine um wacko gad collier like that whole crew from that area mm-hmm. uh is is where i still get all my inspiration from so it's yeah. cool too that you hearing you say that but then um referencing one of your your drumio appearances or i think your the the one drumio appearance your your live lesson talking about keeping it like simple subdivisions and sticking with that so it's cool that these are your dudes but then you also are very aware enough to be like yeah but this is what people should be working on for the most part but then yeah the thing the thing about that is that it really <clears throat> like i try to balance that out when i'm talking about it because i don't want to be I don't want to be one of these sort of old heads that trash on, you know, all the chops stuff Mm -hmm. because you have to, at least in my opinion, you got to go through that phase, go through your heavy prog stuff and learn how to play in 16, whatever, and whatever. The thing about learning the chops is that the chops will create headroom for the easier stuff, Mm -hmm. right? The hard stuff makes the easier stuff way easier. So, you know, having that background of, of playing all of the super technical fusion stuff that I was learning makes playing straight four feel and sound way better than just kind of hacking away at it, mm-hmm. you know, having never been exposed to the to the crazy stuff. So it's it's a valuable thing to learn chops. What's not cool is staying there you know what i mean yeah Yeah. and just vomiting vomiting chops all the time that gets that gets kind of old because you're not going to get a ton of work when you do that 
Yeah. But yeah, you're just fine. You know, you get those compliments from people that say, wow, man, you look so relaxed and all that kind of stuff. That all comes from learning the hard stuff and, you know, just kind of harnessing it and bringing it out when you need it. But it's, you know, you'd be surprised at, uh, at how much better just laying down a straightforward feels when you have all of that headroom behind you. Like you're not struggling for anything up there. You're just super relaxing and it just feels good. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I do want to hop into your first of the five because yeah, I've gone down so many hours of your videos. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what's behind the drummer that I've been watching all these years. And so the first one is Stuart Copeland. And I did one more time want to reference yeah. that your, your drumio appearance, because you do play the song, every little thing she does is magic. And I don't know how to articulate this, but you, sometimes you can tell if there's a, like a drummer's covering a song but you sat in that song so well. It w was there a click track on that song or like, yeah, I guess that's, that's the question. How'd you stay so on? It sounded like they were playing to you in real time. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, I think I created a click for like just the top of the tune mm. because of the, the, the opening hi-hat lick comes in on a pickup. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to make sure to, to catch that. But the, the thing is, I've played to police songs so many freaking times. Yeah. And of course, you know, there was, there was no click really. Yeah. And, um, because I mean, there's enough, there's enough subdivisions going on where you don't need this going on in your head. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, to me, when I was shooting that song at Drumeo's, it just felt like I was playing in the basement when I was 18. Cause that's what I did. I just flew through all of the police albums over and over and over again. So, you know, you can, you can, pretty much call out any police tune and I'm ready to play it. Um, so yeah, when they asked me, you know, if I wanted to do any covers while I was there, I said, yeah, like, let's, let's, let's do some police stuff. It'd be super easy. So, like when I'm covering songs, especially from drummers that I know really well and listen to um, a lot, the approach that I kind of take is that, you know, I try to, I try to play it as if that drummer was playing it live because you sort of you pick up all of the isms like mm. there's so many Stuart copeland isms and if you know them all you can throw them in like wherever you want like mm. signature fills and the hi-hat licks and stuff like that so you don't need to copy the record note for note you can just sort of sit inside Stuart copeland's head and just play it as if he was playing it like on stage or something yeah so it sounds like him without sounding like you're copying every single note that's kind of where i'm at like i'm such a student of so many drummers that you can sort of you're not necessarily copying them you're just kind of quoting a lot of what they do mm -hmm. if that makes any sense so hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. 
And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye no, I love it. Well, let's continue going down the rabbit hole of Stuart Copeland. So the first of five, the album is Ghost in the Machine. The release here is 1981. The artist is The Police. The song choice is One World, Not Three. And of course, the drummer, Stuart Copeland. So why this make the list? Where were you when you first heard it? And then we can listen to about a minute of it. Um, geez, where? I, I remember buying the cassette when cassettes were still a thing mm-hmm. um and i was just, like i have a lot of favorite songs off of that record but i was when when you asked me to pick one tune i tried to uh to think of the ones that stood out the most and Stuart is doing some of the coolest stuff in that tune man mm-hmm. um a lot of the a lot of the fills and and things that he's sort of throwing in there so that's the one. That's the the song that um, that stood out the most. The thing where uh, he plays this huge fill towards the end, and they go into the whole halftime thing. That was my favorite part ever of that okay. song. And that's the one. That's the one section of the tune I used to play over and over and over again because it was just, you know, <laughs> he just went into this ferocious kind of halftime feel. And it was only for a few bars, but it was killer. But uh, yeah, I just loved everything he was doing in that tune. Was this on your air drum drum set, or is this on your actual drum set? It was on my air drum kit. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> That's funny you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, when I was you know when I was seventeen or whatever and didn't have a kit yet, I used to sit on two milk crates, mm-hmm. and I would sit in the basement and just kind of throw on albums and imagine. I knew exactly what my kit looked like and where everything was. And, and um, and I would just sort of mimic all of these licks and stuff. So yeah, that was that was during my air drum <laughs> period. Yeah, dude, I did the same thing uh, before my drum set was in my room. I would I, mean, I would set up a mirror too because I wanted to just look cool. And yeah. uh, my mom could always tell because I would be <clears throat> she could hear my foot. She's like, Ben, it's 10 p.m. Can we stop air drumming tonight, please? I'm like, sorry. <laughs> uh, how many toms did you have on your air drum set? I had three across the top and one floor tom just one and floor wow my, just just one floor and the 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 simple setup that you see on my kit right now is exactly what i had on my air drum kit 
That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, should I play from like halfway through so we can get to that section you were talking about? Because yeah. it, it, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. five-minute song, so. Listen to that friggin' snare. Yeah. Like, this is the air drum song. If you're going to play Police Tune, <laughs> this is it. Mm. These two little bell hits. Come on. So there's a little break here, and he's gonna come in with this crazy fill and this wicked halftime thing. Mm. Come on! Oh my God! All right, so number two, the album is uh, is World Machine, another Machine record. Yeah. Release year is 1985. The artist is Level 42, uh, an artist that I don't know much about, so please educate me, and hopefully there's one person listening that has not heard of Level 42. Song choice is Physical <laughs> Presence, and the drummer is mm -hmm. Phil, Phil Gould. So, yeah, let's just pretend that I've never heard of Level 42 before. Let's, let's talk a little okay. bit about them. Level 42 is a band that's been around um, since the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And um, they were probably one of the first bands that made jazz pop popular. Mm. So these, Phil Goo was, was one of the principal writers. It was him and his, his brother Boom was on guitar. And, um, and, and Phil had a lot to do with, uh, with the writing and the arranging and, and stuff like that but yeah they they were one of the first sort of like jazz pop tunes so you know a lot of a lot of really cool chord progressions and you know throwing a bunch of instrumentals on their albums and and uh, and things like that but phil gould if you haven't heard of phil before um level level 42 will be your introduction to one of the grooviest players to ever exist like this mm. guy's pocket is unbelievable and when you hear this physical presence tune in a second like you'll hear it right away and he's another one his drums always sounded super good but people that know of his drumming will know like they'll confirm like this is the dude like if you want to hear someone lay down a groove this is one of the guys man like it's just crazy so <clears throat> 
Yeah, they uh, the lineup has changed over the years. Phil was with them until uh, the Running in the Family album, which I can't remember what year that came out. But there's probably four, four or five albums with Phil on it, um, which were the first four or five albums. So if you're going to get any Love 42 records, those would be the ones. So. All right, so here is Physical Presence. Yeah, check this out. Mm. Right? So much discipline. Oh my gosh. Even those those three crash hits, just eighth notes. Yeah. Yeah, he always knew exactly how much sauce to put on, and you didn't get any more than that. It was always perfect. Hmm. Wow. And then, of course, Mark King is one of the greatest bass players of all time. I was going to say, it was a killer yeah, band. Funky. Is he still alive? Um, he's still, yeah, he's still, um, still writing music and producing his own stuff. But the groove is just, I mean, that pocket is just nuts, man. Yeah. And so consistent. Like, it's its just on, on everything he plays, it just feels so good. So a funny story about this one, I used to do a series of videos, you know, before YouTube got stupid with copyright stuff. I used to do a, a series of videos called Heroes, and I did one on Phil. So I just gave a little background and, and you know, played one of the songs and stuff. Um, so it was just my sort of tribute to... To Phil, and at one point he saw it, which was awesome. And we ended up connecting and, and talking on Twitter and stuff. So now we're we're kind of online friends, which is pretty cool because he's been a hero, man, for a long time, long time. Yeah. So if anyone out there, you know, if you haven't heard of Love Forty Two, man, look him up. Get those early albums and, and listen to Phil's playing because it's friggin' bananas. All right, number three, the album is Steel Town. Released here is 1984. The artist is Big Country, and the song you chose. And again, I'm sorry. I know I always, I ask people to play choose a song. Just listen to the whole record, listeners. Just, but, yeah, um, just take the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. But the song choice that I forced you to pick is Steel Town, and the drummer is yeah. Mark. Oh my God, Braziki. Braz- wow. Nice. <laughs> wow. This usually does not happen. Usually I'm the butcher of all butchers. So yeah, um again, this is an this is a band that I don't know much about. So uh mm-hmm. if you if you'd like, please give a little backstory for people. And for yeah, me, I mean Big Country, they came around probably 80 
283. Okay. The first song I heard by Big Country was actually called Big Country or in a Big Country. Um, they're a four-piece band. And the coolest thing about them is that they really, like, they wanted people to know where they were from. So they wrote a lot of guitar licks that sort of should have been played by bagpipes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But they 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 came up with these, like, really cool guitar licks and stuff like that. But Mark, the drummer, is one of those people, like, you kind of know, like, when you hear a band for the first time, and you're, a, at least when you're a drummer, and you hear that drummer for the first time, you kind of know that, okay, there's something about this drummer and eventually they're going to blow up and everybody's just going to know about it. It's the first time I heard Dave Matthews band. It was the same thing. First time yep. you heard Carter Beaufort, you know he's going to be a freaking superstar, right? Um, but there's some, something about the way Mark came up with parts. The stuff that he would incorporate inside of his grooves at the same time, it would sound like two different drummers, but it's all him just orchestrating these ridiculous super cool parts and steel town is one of the songs that uh that i used to practice to a lot off that album i love the whole album but steel town was probably the one that um that i used to play along with the most and i did it was last year or the year before i did a i did a cover there's a cover on my channel playing that song i would say like if you're unfamiliar with the band and you want to hear one album steel town would be the one okay for sure like he's he's doing the craziest ones like from the first song to the last one every single song he's playing these super cool parts and um he had this big pearl kit with all these different things symbols everywhere and china's and but there were all there was all of this extra stuff going on that you would hear in these these drum parts that would just blow your mind man and, and steel town is a good example of that Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, nice. That little fill over the bar line that goes with the vocals, that was really cool. Yeah. Oh my god, that China sounds so good. Whatever symbol he's using I for that. Know. It's the little details, man. Oh yeah. That he's throwing in there. But when you hear what he does in the chorus, that's like then you'll hear this the creativity is off the charts. Sure, yeah, we'll keep it going. That's such a cool thought. I'll let you do it again. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
is another one of those air drum songs, man. Oh, sure. But when we get to the chorus, he's going to launch into this, this Tom thing around what he's doing. Awesome. I'm definitely not going to mispronounce his name anymore because I need to know more about him. <laughs> yeah, man. Look Jeez. him up. Yeah. They're still at it. Um, the lineup's a little different because, you know, Stuart Adamson, the lead singer, tragically took his own life several years ago. Um, but yeah, man, the Steel Town record is just bananas. Like, just get that one. All right. So the next album, uh, number four, is the album is called Inside Out. The release here is 1990. The artist is Chick Corea Electric Band, and the song choice is T A Tale of Daring, Chapter 3. And you've mentioned this man before today, actually, uh, Mr. Dave Weckl. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when this song come in your life? And then uh, I actually I had to find this on YouTube. I couldn't really, it's not really readily available, which uh, all the cool easily, records no. are like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what's, uh, why did it make the list? Well, my first, uh, my first three years, playing was basically just like the first three songs that you heard it was all it was police it was love 42 it was big country and i was playing along to those records like a lot when i was practicing mm -hmm. and then one day uh my brother rich who's a bassist um he came home with a chicory album and i think it was their first one, the electric pen. And that's the first time I heard Dave Weckl. I think it was got a match that I heard for the first time. People that know that song know that that's, you know, that's, that's the tune. But anyway, long story short, I got heavy into, to, to Chick Corea band from that point. And <clears throat> I started to become obsessed with, uh, with Dave and his playing because I, at, to that point, I thought I was good. And I was pretty, I was pretty good up to that point, but it was all just basically, you know, straightforward type stuff. I didn't know what was possible on the drums until I heard Dave Weckl for the first time, because that was my introduction to really creative soloing and and super technical playing and odd time signatures and all that type of thing. So by the time I started collecting all of these. Uh, Chickaree Electric Band albums, and I got to Inside Out. That is one of their craziest records. Just to throw this in there, years later, I was able to attend. Uh, Dave Lucky used to travel around and do these intensives where he was. It was just like a private class with maybe five, ten people in the room, and it was up close and personal. So, the story behind this song, Taylor Daring. We're listening to part three here, but it's four parts. The whole thing is a good 18, 20 minutes long or something. And Dave told a story about the session and was like, like the charts were across like four music stands or something like four or five music stands. Huge piece of music. And they played it top to bottom. And um, and they, they had to read the whole thing straight through, which when you hear it, 
you get an idea of just how much of a monster Dave is, especially his reading chops. But uh, yeah, this tune, I chose this tune because I remember attempting to lift the entire thing from front to back. It was a super crazy task, but I just wanted to learn those parts. Part three was my, like all of my favorite stuff happened in part three. So I, I, I focused on that. And I remember at some point feeling like Superman because I had somewhat conquered it. <laughs> or at least I thought I did. If I listen back to it now, it's <laughs> yeah. probably all wrong. <laughs> we don't but, have to talk uh, about that part. You conquered it. Yeah. But at the time, <clears throat> I felt like, and I felt pretty proud of myself lifting all of this stuff and learning this tune. I remember calling some friends over and playing it for them. They were probably bored out of their skull listening to this <laughs> noise, but um, but I felt pretty good. So yeah, uh, Dave's doing some crazy stuff for sure in this one. Knowing that he's looking at a chart while doing this is blowing my mind. It's crazy. Yeah, picture him playing this with like <laughs> 10 feet of chart in front of him. Yeah, that's that was that was when my whole direction changed. Like it wasn't until I got into jazz fusion, that's when all of the technical stuff started to happen for me. Mm -hmm. And so so that's when that's when the headroom started. All of my friends were learning Tom Sawyer and I said, Screw this, man. I wanna this is what I wanna know how to do. So yeah, I sat in that fusion phase for a long time. Out of curiosity, when you were talking to Dave, um, or when he was talking about that that session, are the drum parts written out, or is he looking at just like the like the piano stabs, or like what's like a chart like that? What would it look like? That was all improv, yeah, for sure. Um, the things there's probably just figures that are written out that he has to catch every once in a while, mm -hmm. but around that, it's all it's all improv. So that's insane. Yeah. I know it's just nuts. So, I mean, if you listening to this stuff and knowing that they were in that studio reading everything is just bananas when you think about it. So it was just cool to be able to talk to him and, and ask him about that whole session. The song that you've been listening to hundreds and hundreds of times over, you finally get the backstory of, of how the whole thing felt in the studio. And I remember he said when they finally finished, <laughs> like everybody was sweating in the studio and like they just ran a marathon and it just kind of fell back like whew, we finally got through it 
the the engineer goes to the talk back did you guys want me to record that take um (laughs) you guys ready to go (laughs) all right so number five we're uh we're blazing through these the album's black science the release here is 1990 the artist is steve coleman and five elements the song choice is turbulence and the drummer is marvin smitty smith I'm pretty sure I see him all the time. He, uh, I won't say exactly where for the sake of him, but uh, we have a very similar lockout situation in LA and I see him, I see him a lot. I've never said hi, but he's there a lot. (laughs) But anyways, uh, why'd this song make the list? This song made the list because this album, uh, this album was super significant because this came after the Chick Corea, you know, Yellow Jackets, John Schofield, like all of that phase. My brother was heavy into all of this other stuff, but he would be listening to the radio and discovering all these bands all the time. And he came home with Black Science. Um, First time I heard Steve Coleman. Before, it's like there's there's this one sort of group coming out of L.A., all of this really cool fusion stuff. While that was happening... There's another sort of urban side of fusion that's happening on the other side of the country. The first time I heard this record, I was just, it was the same as before. Like if, when I when I heard Dave Wecker for the first time, I heard Steve Coleman for the first time and I'm like, what is this? I don't know what this is, but I need a huge chunk of this in my life. And, um, and that became sort of began my brief obsession with Steve Coleman and everything he was doing from that point. But the arrangements, the thing about these songs versus like the one you just heard, the way these songs are are constructed are way different than just going in there and reading. Um, A lot of the songs were sort of based on uh, what they called chants. Um, so they would, I, I think, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I think they would, they would sit around and instead of like, instead of taking a technical approach to a lot of these parts, they would just sit around and sing them out, sing them. And a lot of times not even really paying attention to whatever time signature it was. They would just sing these chants. So they learn where it cycled. And then you go from there. It just so happened that you know, this tune might be in 15 or this one might be in 13. But I, playing this stuff really got my ability to play odd time and shape and just being able to hear. Like if a song was in 15, it would be, it would be compound signatures. So you could hear the seven plus the eight. And that's where you learn how that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of, a lot of the songs were like that. So Listening to these tunes really got my ear in shape because I could hear, I was able to hear different time signatures inside of larger time signatures. And, you know, being able to play those and hear the cycles and nail them and all that kind of stuff was a big, it was a big thing. Like it was a big sort of step. And again, talking about that headroom thing, you know, after playing along to these Steve Coleman records and stuff, Playing in five and playing in seven and whatever else felt like nothing. Like seven, eight was as comfortable as four by that point. Because all of this crazy stuff you were listening to, you were learning this. And 
and you, you were sort of learning how all of that stuff was broken down that way. But Marvin Smith, even after Weko, I had I'd never heard drumming like this before, and it was just normal. <laughs> it's just normal to all these people in this crew. So, yeah, it's crazy. So there's all these syncopations and time shifting and stuff going on, but while they're playing it, it's just one big chant that cycles after a certain number of bars. Yeah. And once you learn it, you just play in the cycle. Yeah, so while you're listening to this, you can sort of, even though you don't quite understand what's going on, you can hear certain things repeating. Yeah. Like certain sections repeating. So it starts to become recognizable. So after a while, you can kind of count through it and figure out how many beats there are before things start to cycle. And that's the first step of picking this stuff up. Mm-hmm. love it yeah so the funny thing about this stuff is that um my brother rich uh, again as a bass player here in toronto mm-hmm. um he was obsessed with steve coleman for a long time and um he got into the jazz scene himself like he's a, he's a full-time bassist uh, eventually like years later somehow they connected and he actually got the tour with steve playing this crazy stuff <laughs> for uh, wow. I, I can't remember how long is how long it was with him but yeah he was he was able to do that but the drummers that played with steve they all do this like it's nothing to them gene lake sean rickman smitty smith there's a there's a small core of, of drummers that played with steve and they all just you know they just call a tune like this out and just launch into it and play it like it's nothing like it's friggin mustang stallion or whatever you know what i mean like it's just <laughs> yeah. easy for them so yeah man there's just uh there's a there's a there's a certain breed of musicians out there that you know if you uh 
if you catch wind of them, they'll really inspire you to sort of step your game up. Just because you know that this type of stuff is possible. So mm-hmm. why not try to learn it? You know what I mean? So, yeah, that album is super significant because that, again, it was another shift in, in my learning. Like all of my odd time phase stuff, that's where all this, it happened with all of that stuff. Well, that is your top five, man. Um, is there anything you want to give a shout out to? Anything coming up that you want people to know about other than just check out your, your channel? Because they can spend years just going down that stuff. Yeah, just, I mean, just keep watching the channel, man. That's my, sort of my full-time gig right now. My whole thing when I, when I started it was basically just to, I wanted to share everything that I pretty much learned over the last 30 years or so with as many people as, as possible. So, you know, the channel is sort of my avenue to, to, to do that and it's really cool to have it because it's opened a ton of doors and a lot of drummers that i used to follow and be obsessed with it's funny the opportunities that come with having a channel like this but you know a lot of these drummers are kind of in my contact list now which is great Mm -hmm. um so but yeah the channel is here man so i can just sort of you know anything that i pick up that i can help y'all out with that's what the channel is here for because can't take it with you. Right. Yeah. So well, and I would also say that your channel doesn't just cater cater to, if I didn't make it clear, doesn't cater just to beginners and stuff like you have maintenance practices as well that I guarantee a lot of the people you look up to and have idolized have been in their hotel room on tour and been like, what's another warm up I should work on. And they've gone to your page and actually found something to improve their own playing <laughs> guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, I I give a lot of attention to the hands because that's the hands is like you can never overdevelop your hands. Mm-hmm. Never. So if you're going to focus on one thing while you're learning, just make sure whatever spare time you got, just pick up a practice pad and, you know, a pair of sticks. And while you're sitting there watching Netflix or whatever, just move the hand, man. You don't have to do anything specific. Just move the sticks around and because the way that that stuff affects your playing, I, I can't even I can't even tell you how much it affects mm-hmm. your playing. You just end up so much more relaxed when your wrists are loose. You know what to do with your fingers. Um, it's just man, it's just just work on a practice pad as often as possible. And then when you jump on the kit, everything's just gonna feel way better. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.